Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Baratunde and welcome to We're Having a Moment, a limited podcast series where I try to make sense of this defining moment around race and policing in the United States. If you have thoughts you want to share with me about this series, hit me up on my community text number 202-894-8844. Just send a text with the word WHAM, W-H-A-M, in the body. And consider signing up for my email newsletter at baratunde.com or on any social media account where you can find a Baratunde. It's probably me. This is episode five. Hello, white people. Hello, world. Remember team sports? Pre-pandemic activity involving groups of people working in close proximity to achieve a common goal. Sometimes involves concussions. Sometimes involves personal growth and development. Just depends on the sport. I've been thinking about team sports a lot lately and not just because I miss watching them on TV, but because I feel like the metaphor works for who's participating in this moment, what makes this moment feel different from others. I'm used to a certain player on the field when it comes to defending black lives, and that player's black. But I'm seeing a lot of white people show up in more expansive, sometimes more clumsy, more eager ways than usual. Let's take protests. I'm pretty sure the color palette of those showing up to these protests this summer are much wider and whiter than usual. The people who are calling city halls and lobbying for changes to policy are not just black activists on the ground. They are white people who've been waking up trying to get involved. The folks removing statues of Confederate losers, and it's important to remind ourselves that They lost, and we don't generally celebrate losers. The folks taking those statues down aren't just black people or indigenous people. They're white people. And the folks defending the takedowns are not just black. I see you, Taylor Swift, out there with the cogent argument on Twitter for why we need to remove these statues 
in your home state of Tennessee. I saw Taylor Swift tweet that and I retweeted it. And I still can't believe that I live in a world where I retweeted Taylor Swift on the subject of white supremacy because her stance was so dope. More of that, please. We've seen this movement called Pass the Mic online and on social media where famous white people, folks with large followings, literally pass their accounts over to less famous people of color with something to say. And we've seen a series of cancellations, of course. Rest in peace, cops. After decades of dehumanizing black people, you can finally retire. Hopefully no pension for the show. Rest in peace, Aunt Jemima. After decades of dehumanizing black people, you got to go. And you're gone. And the one I did not see coming. Rest in peace, Confederate flag at NASCAR events. What? Yeah, I didn't see that one coming. Something's different. You hear what I'm saying? I've heard a lot of companies issuing statements. Shoe companies, uh, makeup companies, hair gel companies issuing statements in support of black lives. Now, some of that is a performance. Some of that is PR pressure. But still, it's different. What's more valuable than those statements are the companies that are going farther and pledging to change the makeup of their upper management, of their boards, of how they make their products and deliver their services. That is more meaningful, the commitment to an anti-racist organization and the use of one's own power to create more good in the world and more equity in the world. And this is beyond anecdotal. I, I know there was a lot of reading during this pandemic about how to make sourdough bread. But the numbers are in now, and some of the top-selling books in this country are things like White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo and How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. And I think it's a lot of white people buying those books. And on a personal note, I've been getting a lot of texts from my white friends just checking in, seeing how I'm doing, seeing if maybe I could help them out with a statement or an education. And maybe there's people who got my number because I gave it out at the top of a very public podcast. Can't entirely blame them. This feels different. And yet it reminded me of something I had heard before. I had to go way back to 1967 and reread the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who wrote in 1967 in the book, Where Do We Go From Here?, the following paragraph. In spite of the hard reality that many blatant forms of injustice could not exist without the acquiescence of white liberals, the fact remains that a sound resolution of the race problem in America will rest with those white men and women who consider themselves as generous and decent human beings. Edmund Burke said on one occasion, when evil men combine, good men must unite. This is the pressing challenge confronting the white liberal. When evil men plot, good men must plan. When evil men burn and bomb, good men must build and bind. When evil men conspire to preserve an unjust status quo, good men must unite to bring about the birth of a society undergirded by justice. Nothing can be more detrimental to the health of America at this time than for liberals to sink into a state of apathy and indifference. MLK, still bringing it, still got it, still got the words for the moment, so many moments after his own moment. And it feels to me like 
the white liberal, and I take that not as a political designation, but as a state of mind, uh, someone who sees themselves as generous and decent, that the white liberal King wrote about has, at least in part, maybe temporarily, a little bit, gotten the message. And that's great. That has helped me feel less alone. That has helped so many of us feel less alone. Because the hard truth is, we will not bring an end to systemic racism by the efforts of Black people alone, or Indigenous people alone, or people of color alone. We're going to need white people. Just as we are not going to dismantle systemic misogyny and sexism by the efforts of women alone. We men need to be a part of that too. So it brings me a level of gratitude and joy and shock and a little hesitation, but mostly joy when I see so many white people in America showing up for Black Lives. And I want to acknowledge that because that is a key part of how I've been thinking about this moment, that we're not alone in the moment. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything. A moment that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these very moments. The last couple of years has been the hardest season of our marriage for sure. I'm surprised our marriage survived it. I think we both are. I think we both were barely holding on. Mm. Nothing compares to how hard this is. Their stories are full of candor, awe, and hard-won wisdom. 
And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. True behavior change is really identity change. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Listen to A Slight Change of Plans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But it's not just white people in America showing up that has made me feel less alone and been a sign of solidarity. To quote the Star Wars franchise, there is another. And that other is the whole rest of the world. We have seen the whole world show up in this moment, physically take to the streets in this moment in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter moment and movement in the U.S. I've seen it on various TV channels and all kinds of social media feeds. I'm talking about rallies in London, UK, in Lagos, Nigeria, Mexico City, Auckland, New Zealand, where I saw people perform the powerful haka dance of the indigenous Maori people. I still get emotional when I think about it and definitely when I hear it. But these demonstrations haven't just been about solidarity with us in the U.S., It's also been about the fight for black lives in each of those countries, especially the European countries. It turns out I know some black people in Europe. Yeah, and you're going to meet one of them very soon. Truly, my favorite part of making this show has been the ability to hopefully introduce you to voices that you haven't heard from before. Voices like Diana Arce. Diana is a Black, Latinx, Alaskan-born artist and researcher who's been living in Berlin since 2004. She's the founder of this political nonprofit speech karaoke bar. It's called Politooki. She also created and directs Artists Without a Cause. That's a nonprofit that supports and researches arts and activism and the intersection of those two. She also, because she's mad busy, created something called the White Guilt Cleanup Project. And you should just Google that one. Google White Guilt Cleanup and see what you get back. I last saw Diana in person in Berlin in the summer of 2019, almost exactly one year ago today. Remember when the EU let Americans in? That was nice. At the time, Diana was explaining to me the situation of Black people in Germany and the Black Lives Matter work that she was helping organize there. Yes, there is a Black Lives Matter organization in Berlin. So for this episode, I knew I needed to talk with Diana about this moment we're in right now. We spoke via Skype, because honestly, I just, I needed a break from Zoom, okay? So the Black Lives Matter movement in Berlin actually started uh, four years ago, and there was the first Black Lives Matter protest, I think in 2016 was the first one. And, um, and that was primarily, the first, very first one was primarily about police violence in the US. It was started by an American, the first one was produced by an American. And basically we've been having the same problems as black people here. Um, but it's even worse because there's an illusion, even among Germans, that black people are not German and there are no black people here unless they're migrants or they're expats. And so there's a long history of like Afro-Germans going back five, six hundred years, and they've been completely erased from uh, from everything, from all of society. So 
there's this level of invisibility that black Germans suffer that are like suffer under. And, um, and then there's this feeling from, from like the dominant German society that we dealt with the Holocaust. So we're good. We don't see color and everything is fine. But when we look at police violence, when we look at deaths in custody, it's the majority of it is our black people and it's, it's black people or, or POC. And we just had on the 18th, what was it, the 18th of June, we have a, a black Moroccan man who was murdered by the police. He was apparently brandishing a knife and he was shot in the back by police. So every year we have one of these stories come up and um, there's another black man in Germany, uh, Ori Jala was murdered in 2005. Well, the police won't say he's murdered and officially by law, I cannot say he's murdered. Um, okay. But he was handcuffed to a mattress on the floor of, of a cell. And according to the police, he lit himself on fire and committed suicide on a flame-proof mattress with no actual, he had nothing on him. He was in custody. And rather than looking into it, the local government and Zach Nunhaz, they decided to, to basically write off the investigation and say, we're no longer going to investigate this anymore. And that's from 2005. So people have been fighting since 2005 to get this investigated. And we just, we continually have these incidences, but whenever something pops off in the U S what you end up having here is you have the white majority jumping up and saying racism is such a horrible thing. It's so bad. What's going on in the United States. But then you have black people here who are like, great that you think that racism is so bad in the United States. It's actually really, really bad here too. And we're dying here. And we're also facing police violence. That's thank you for giving that context. And I actually want to stay in the context of the history first before we continue to what's going on today. So you're describing events over the past 15 years. You've been living in Germany for 16 years. What is your connection to and role within Black Lives Matter? And what are the primary sort of focal points of Black Lives Matter in Berlin? To think about anti-racism or racism itself, we are fighting in a way that people in the United States had to fight 100 years ago. So there's a denial about mm. what is racist. There's a denial to anything that can be construed as structural racism. And that goes all the way through the entire government. There's a lack of services. We're, we're literally 100 years behind. It's kind of hard to describe. But one of my favorite examples to sort of talk about when I'm talking to other American activists that are in the United States is like, we can't even get them to accept that the N-word is a derogatory term. So um, one anecdotal example is I was actually involved in shadowing a court case where a guy with a Nazi tattoo that apparently wasn't visible when the black person got attacked was screaming the N-word and trying to hit a black person with a bottle. But because we couldn't see the swastika tattoo when the violence happened, it wouldn't get tried as a hate crime because the N-word isn't a racial slur. So we have that as an issue. We have, yeah. you know, when they use the word race in Germany, when they use the word Lassa, it's so loaded with the Holocaust that currently there's this thing called the Grundgesetz, which is essentially like it's the rights of all humans in Germany. And there is a rule, an anti-discrimination rule within this law that says that you can't be discriminated against for sex. You can't be discriminated against for uh, disabilities. You can't be discriminated against okay. for Lassa. Now, what the German government's talking about is they want to remove the word race from the Grundgesetz, and their feeling is if they remove the word race, then we dealt with it and it's over. Well, yeah, I mean, if you don't have the word race, then you can't have 
the word racism. So problem solved. Is that yeah? Is that it? That's kind of it. And then, but then they're like okay. talking about replacing it with other words, and then some of the words they're talking about replacing it with are like you know ethnic background or like racial identity. There's all these different words they're coming up with, but basically all it creates is like a legal hole in which you can't actually sue. <laughs> You can't actually sue yeah. anyone for discrimination based off of race. And it actually opens up another hole potentially where we can actually be sued for reverse racism, depending mm. on the words they choose to use. So there is no concept of understanding of what the word race means. There's no actual understanding of what racism is. If you imagine like Americans getting annoyed with the few times they have to hear, oh, well, that's racist against white people. We hear that here every day, all the time persistently and constantly we're trying to fight a battle that should have already been like dealt with when Germany was like, okay, we're no longer going to do these things anymore. So, so we have that, we have the invisibility of black people. We have the lack of Germany willing to deal with its colonial past. They don't get educated in their colonialism. There is an assumption from many Germans, white Germans that uh, Germany had no colonies. Uh, they forget that the Berlin conference happened here, that the dividing up of Africa happened in Germany. Uh, they don't know that the first concentration camps that were ever created were created before World War One to exterminate black people in Africa. So there's all this history. Even when we, they talk about the slave trade, it's always spoken about as if it was just the Dutch and the Portuguese and the Spanish. But when you study German history, you find out, oh, well, a lot of those Dutch boats were financed by German businesses. You can find the remnants of this stuff actually even here in Berlin, like on buildings. So the history is all there, but there's this unwillingness to deal with it. And there's this unwilling to acknowledge it. So when they think about blackness or black people, they speak about black people as if they've just come over just recently from the Mediterranean. And so it's kind of like a multi-tiered issue because the community itself is like, we have black Germans, we have black Europeans, then we have black Americans who are here. And then we have, you know, black Africans. And then we have black refugees and anti-blackness is such a big thing that hits so many different parts of our community. Yeah. And it doesn't ever seem that like we have the numbers of like being a lot of people here because there are no racialized statistics on anything. So the Bundespolizei, the National Police Force put out a statement a few years ago where they said there's no racial profiling in Germany. And it was like, yeah, of course there's no racial profiling if you keep zero statistics on the race of the people that you stop. We, we know what that is like in the United States. We have a president who thinks there is no COVID if you don't test for COVID. Yeah. So very familiar with the so idea. So this is Germany yeah. with race. There is no racism wow. because we have no racialized statistics on anything, which they don't okay. collect because of their fear of when they did collect them in the past. When we look at when they collected racialized statistics, that was pre-Holocaust. So... Yeah. There's this fear of doing it, but then it gives sort of black activists here really very little legs to stand on because we have a lot of like anecdotal stuff and we're collecting the statistics on our own, but then the government doesn't want to take it seriously because it's not coming from them. And is there any understanding, because, you know, we get a version of the German story here, and I think even of Brian Stevenson at the Equal Justice Initiative, who often highlights Germany's response to the end of World War II and the end of the Holocaust as a much better version of reckoning with history. Like you don't have Nazi soldier statues the way we have Confederate statues, which are increasingly coming down, but it's a much delayed thing. So Germany is often held up as a particular example. Merkel is held up as an example of inviting 
of migrants versus other Europeans. And then the EU in general seems like an example of a better safety net and all these things which feel so much more progressive and just like snap your fingers, it's better. But you're coloring that picture with a bit more nuance for us. How do you feel about that sort of Americanized version of Germany's role around these issues of integration and justice uh, with what you know to be the deeper history and the current experience? Well, we currently have a minister of the interior who said that integration failed, right? There is no real concept of integration if you have fourth generation people, whether they're black or whether they're other POC people that still aren't considered by the larger society to be German, despite the fact that they've been four or five generations here because they don't look German. Um, and I always like to, you know, and then this idea of the statues are coming down. Yeah, of course, there's no Hitler statues that we have statues and monuments and street names of the people who murdered hundreds of thousands of, of Africans in their colonies prior to World War One. Those street names still exist. Uh, activists here have been asking for over 30 years for Germany to take these things down and they haven't taken them down. You know, we got lucky last year where they swapped like a few street names. We even have a street in the middle of Berlin that is another word for the N-word because there's multiple words for the N-word here. And the street is named that. And black activists here have been asking for over 30 years, can you please change the street name to just any other name? And it's still not changed. There's an U-Bahn station that also has the big sign with the name of the street on it. Uh, we call it Emstrasse. We don't say the word. So we still have all these remnants here that the German government doesn't want to think about or doesn't want to look at. And it's like, okay, if we look at the fact, okay, yes, there were reparations paid to some Jewish families. Um, there was some reckoning of these things. But at the same time, there wasn't really a full reckoning of it. You know, if we, if we go in the past and we look at like who was running Germany after World War II, you know, a lot of the people weren't that different. And just because they chose to deal with this one issue, this one group of people doesn't mean that they didn't continue to discriminate the other people that they were also interning and putting yeah. into concentration camps like Roma and Sinti people, like black people, um, Armenian people. There are all these other people that were also victims of the Holocaust. They didn't get to see the same kind of like reckoning as the Jewish community did because they were such smaller groups. So on that side, it's like, okay, yeah, you know, uh, you know, but then on the flip side, okay, we have socialized healthcare. We have really great gun control laws. There's all these other mechanisms that are in place that are quite good. So it is, you know, it is definitely a lot easier to live here in the sense of you don't have to worry about dying on the street immediately, but we have records of neo-Nazis who, who are in, in the police. You know, and if a neo-Nazi is in the police force, there's nothing we can do about it. There's no mechanisms in place that we can fight that off with. And even the German government and the police force itself, when they do find these people, we find out that like, oh, they knew about this for six months, seven months before they actually did something. So the system of policing has been broken. Racial profiling has been made legal in Berlin uh, and actually German wide. Um, we have this freedom of movement that's supposed to be allowed throughout the European Union. According to like a high case in the, um, the German version of the Supreme Court, a black man tried to take the police to court because he said, you can't stop me for crossing the border between Netherlands and Germany. And then the basis of the police being able to stop him was it was based off of his previous experience with stopping other people. And the high court agreed with the cops. 
So they basically legalized racial profiling. All these things are becoming legal and they're basically spreading across the entire country. And because of that, you know, on one hand, okay, maybe it's not as bad. It's a lot easier to sort of to deal with in the sense where it's like we don't see people being murdered by the police every day. Yeah. But we still see people being murdered by the police and the people who are being murdered are black people and POC people. And then in the European Union, you know, the European Union is a complete joke. They put out a statement that said, like, they're pro Black Lives Matter. I'm like, that's really great that they wanted a virtue signal and say Black Lives Matter. That's great. But what about the hundreds of thousands of black people who are dying in the Mediterranean trying to get over here? And the reason why they're trying to get over here is because their countries or where they come from have been so destroyed by European imperialism and colonialism that's the only reason why they're coming here, because we destroyed their country. So they're coming here and EU puts out a statement saying, great, Black Lives Matter. But at the same time, they're fighting boats, dinghies trying to come over from the Mediterranean and they're shipping people back to countries where they're probably going to be killed. So you can't say Black Lives Matter and choose, select and choose which Black life matters in that context. And so these are the kinds of things that we're dealing with here where it's like, it's very selective. Like, you know, there is a lot of like exceptionalism where, you know, this example of here's an example of a great black person. And like, this is what we should all strive to be. But anyone who's not that we don't care about their life. They don't matter. Yeah. So, so bring me up to date to late May, early June, 2020, when on American TV sets, we're seeing People all over the world say Black Lives Matter, and you're involved in that in Berlin. How did the demonstrations in your city come to pass? Well, the very first demonstration that happened, I guess it was like a few days after George Floyd was murdered. Several like POC organizations were in contact with different groups, and uh, they decided to hold the very first demonstration, which had 2,000 people, which was really big for a Black Lives Matter demonstration. Is that like every black person in Berlin? Or? Well, so that's the thing, though, right? So then you have a lot of white people showing up. Mm-hmm. And it's great that they're showing up, but it's also very dangerous when they show up because a lot of white German people, when they come to these things, they're looking at them through the lens of USA is so bad. And they don't want to deal with the context of what it, what it is to exist here. And I actually spoke at the first demonstration and I called everyone out at the first demonstration. There were a lot of F words said. Um, like German F words or actual like English? I think I, I spoke in English. I was very emotional and I couldn't really handle doing it in German. And I started in German where I explained to everyone I would only speak English. Um, but it was this, but it's this thing where it's like, you know, they hear these words, they come out. And they want to talk about how bad it is in the United States, but they don't want to look at the conditions of what it is to exist as a black person in Germany. So I was spent a lot of time in my speech sort of trying to turn the conversation onto let's talk about Orijala, let's talk about these people who have died here, let's talk about women refugees fighting for their lives in these internment camps that they're putting them in inside of Germany. So if you make it over the Mediterranean, if you make it to Germany, they basically lock you away. And then it got worse with COVID. And so there were all those sort of things happening. Baratunde here, but just talking to you, not to Diana. I'm cutting my own interview off because I want you to hear for yourself what Diana said at that rally that she's just described. 
and I could just let you hear her talk about it or could insert a piece of it. So here's the first three minutes of her speech. It starts off with a bit of German. Don't be afraid. It's a beautiful language. She'll get to English very, very quickly. Okay, I'm Diana. I'm from Black Lives Matter Berlin. Ich lebe seit 15 Jahren, also 16 Jahren in Berlin schon. So, falls ihr nicht, mich nicht versteht, also ihr könnt so alle schon sowieso so auf den uh, Black Lives Matter Page sowieso finden, eventuell. Um, I'm from Virginia. Charlottesville was not that long ago. And I have been to too many of these marches. And I have seen too many of your faces. And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let, let me just say this right now though. Black people, I love you. I love that all of you are here. And I love if you need this, if you need to be here, whatever you need right now. If you need to mourn, if you need to yell, if you need to, if you need to stay the fuck home, whatever you need. Because it's about us right now. It's about us right now. And there's a lot of people who want to organize and there's a lot of people who like don't know where to go. You can come to us. We are looking for people. We are small. We do not have all the capacities in the world. And we need, we are trying to help people on the ground. We have been posting online. We have been vetting like fundraisers. We have been vetting, we have been vetting like where to send emails. We have been vetting where you need to like, where you need to put your fucking Unterstützung, okay? It's like, we gotta do better than just being fucking activists online, reposting shit without knowing where the hell it comes from. It's not good. It's not good enough. All right? But black people, I love you. And I love that you're here. And I love if you're not here and whatever you need. But I came here to talk to the white people who are gonna be here. And the white people who like to show up. And the white people who are never really around when there's no video. Because there's a lot of anger right now because there were two videos back to back. But there were two other people who died where there was no video. Brianna Taylor died, and it was like a, it was like what like a month before it was even before it even really came into the news. They tried to hide that shit, you know. Right after George died, Tony McDade, who's a trans man in Florida, was also murdered. But ain't nobody talking about him. Nobody, because there's no video. And I'm tired of seeing y'all when there's a video, because there is enough black deaths. Not even, not even black deaths in the United States. There's enough black decks here where y'all don't show up. And I know some of y'all are here today. Some of y'all wrote Black Lives Matter asking us, oh, what are you going to do? Like, what can we, you need to do something. You need to do something. A lot of white people wrote us asking us to do something. None of y'all wrote us to ask us what we need. Not one of you. And I'm over it. I'm done with it. Racism is your fault. You invented this shit. White supremacy is your fault. You invented this shit. And if you are not fighting against it when there is not a video, then you are part of the problem. We're tired. We're so fucking tired. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, 
Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything. A moment that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these very moments. The last couple of years has been the hardest season of our marriage, for sure. I'm surprised our marriage survived it. I think we both are. I think we both were barely holding on. Mm. Nothing compares to how hard this is. Their stories are full of candor, awe, and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. True behavior change is really identity change. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Listen to A Slight Change of Plans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Whew. Yeah. Diana was real fired up, right? Especially at white Germans who love to point the finger of racism at the USA without looking internally. Uh, Now let's just return to my interview with Diana. Yes, this is bad what's happening in the United States, but we have shit we can fix here. And let's fix these things here. And let's not just point the fingers at the bad Americans for how bad they are, because we've got a lot of bad seeds here. And this is, you know, what the German election was, what, 2017. And we saw for the first time in history, a right wing party make it into parliament. And a lot of people aren't taking the AFD really seriously, but they're saying things that are basically ripped from Mein Kampf. Mm. We're seeing there's news articles about police being involved with AFD members, feeding them information for investigations when they are investigating into like left groups, right? Horst Seehofer, who's the Indian minister, he changed the way that they put together statistics for uh, like high crimes to terror crimes, right? And it used to be they would look at left terror, right terror, and then foreign groups. Okay. And then he added a fourth category, which is called, uh, it's Deutschfeindlichkeit, which is uh, anti-German. And so he's looking into trying to come up with statistics for uh, people who are against Germans, which in Germany doesn't really exist. Okay. And on our research and looking in that, you know, it's one way for him to try to like drop the statistics for right-wing groups. And it's another way for him to to say, okay, well, if 
other groups are saying things that can be considered anti-German, which is anything that's not about like this white German ideal, then that can be categorized into that group. And you can have better statistics than the current statistics. So this is for me, this is like this reverse racism idea coming into the forefront. So there was a demo on the Saturday. There was another demonstration on the Sunday that was also 5,000 people. And then on the 6th of June, a couple of young activists who actually were not connected to anyone and nobody knew who they were until after decided to hold a demonstration at Alexanderplatz. And at that demonstration, according to the police, there was 15,000 people there. Okay. According to the demonstrators, they think the count is much higher than that. They think it's probably 30. And uh, at the end of that, there ended up being 96 people arrested, the majority of whom were black or POC, and half of them were actually uh, children. They were under 18. But out of 30,000 protesters, how many of those were actually black was very, very low. The percentage of people that were actually black people were very, very low. And so the fact that the cops were there in full riot gear and were ready to sort of like break heads and then they managed to bust a lot of heads of a lot of black or brown people in a crowd of 15,000 or 30,000, depending on whose numbers you look at, where, you know, a fraction of that number were actually black and POC. So, you know, but it's this thing where it's like, it keeps going and there's been demonstrations. There was another one last week. There's another demonstration planned on uh, July 4th. There's another demonstration coming on the 18th. There's basically, it's going to keep going. And part of it is in solidarity with the United States. But then it's also about like, let's talk about black lives worldwide. Let's talk about what this means to be black everywhere. All of this stuff is everywhere. And we're seeing the same things with activists that we talked to from the UK. Switzerland is doing quite a bit. There's even a Black Lives Matter group in Latvia. Latvia? That we just found out about. They just wrote us and we found out about them. The Finns have been out protesting and demonstrating too. Black people uh, in Finland have been protesting. And so it's kind of this amazing thing where we're seeing, um, where I'm seeing at least for the time that I've been here, the first time that there's been a lot of uh, attempts at sort of communicating across the borders um, and sharing tactics and ideas and plans. And also just like seeing black communities where we kind of just wrote off and didn't think there was anyone. But it's so exciting to see that like, despite the fact that the communities here, you know, because it's so intersectional and we're dealing with so many complicated issues and, and we don't even all speak the same language either. Right. So we have like we have, literally, you don't all speak the we same literally language. literally do not speak the same language. So we have French speaking black folks. We have Arab speaking black folks. We have the German speaking black folks. And then the ones who only speak English. And, you know, we had a big meeting actually, there was actually a big meeting today where we were trying to meet with just like black org- organizers or an activist from just the Berlin scene. Okay. And one of the groups that came, we had to translate for them because they could only talk in French. And a few people who came could only speak English. And the majority of us who were there speak German, but we couldn't do the meeting in German because we had these few people who couldn't speak French or German. So we're kind of trying to navigate it on that yeah. point. And then there's so many different issues, you know, where it's like, you know, like, especially like black refugees and like what they're going through. And it's not only what they're going through when they're on their way here, but what happens to them when they come here. And they're so separated from the rest of us, too. So it's really complicated. My last formal question. But in the U.S., we've had a quick uh, coalescing around this demand to defund the police. Yeah. and. There is, yes, a broad umbrella of Black Lives Matter, and there's a lot of demands underneath of those. But 
defund the police has become the refrain. And we've seen motion more quickly yeah. than we've seen before. We're past the body cams, we're past the citizen oversight boards. It's now about budgets and alternative modes of public safety and shifting that money. Is there a similar uh, narrowing or coalescing around, if not one echoing call, a shorter list of needs and demands to emerge from what sounds like a very diverse group of Black Lives Matter in Berlin and Germany and even across Europe? I mean, we're still putting it together, right? And we're still talking, we're trying to talk to everyone and like find out where everybody is and what their needs are. And um, defund the police is definitely on our list. Crime is the lowest it's ever been in 30 years, but the police got a 12% increase, which is like, for what? If crime is yeah. at a 30 year low, a 30 year low, then why do the police need more money? So we're asking the same questions in the US and I had hoped that that was like our thing. I'm like, oh, America's crazy. But the reasonable trains on time Germans, like they'll, they won't be, but you're telling me, you're telling all of us, y'all have the same inflated police budgets in a time of record low crime that we do. That's, that's disappointing. Okay, break, break my heart inflated. some more. Break my they're heart some more. They're not as inflated as yours, okay. but, they're, but it's, it's ridiculous. It just makes no sense at all. And considering like how much violence is perpetrated against uh, black folks here, there's even less reason to give the cops more money. Mm. So defunding the police is definitely one of them. Um, freedom of movement is definitely a really, really, really high up on our list. If you look black and you're crossing borders in Europe, the way that people are treated is widely different. Um, it definitely, you know, for me, it's pretty easy. I have an American passport, but if I'm traveling with someone who's darker skinned than me, even if they had an American passport, I don't think they would be treated as well as I would be. And there just needs to be like actual real freedom of movement is what we were promised with the formulation of the EU needs to be guaranteed for black people. Yeah. There's uh, the removing of all this colonialist remnants, statues, street names, all of this stuff needs to go. One, there needs to be full recognition of like actual what structural racism is and the fact that it exists in all levels of Germany, including uh, the German government. And the current formulation of how the rules work is that if you experience discrimination from a German government office, you cannot file a complaint because officially they don't discriminate. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah. Wait, that's kind of a kind of circular, that's convenient rhetorical trap there. Like, I need you to say that again. Just I'm, yeah. I'm, maybe I misheard. A German government office, like a federal office, cannot discriminate against me because they do not discriminate. So if I experience discrimination from a German government office, and want to file a complaint, I can't file a complaint because officially they do not discriminate. That is magic. That is one way to end systemic racism or oppression is just to declare it doesn't exist. Okay, so you're trying to, yeah. that's- so There needs to be full recognition of structural <laughs> yeah, racism. So you got some work levels. to do. Yeah. yeah, like I said, we're a hundred years behind, right? <laughs> Oh man. Um, and it makes sense in a place that could create Kafka that this would be like <laughs> yes. how it would work. I feel like black people here were living perpetually in the trial and Bill Murray's uh, Groundhog Day. Like this is literally <laughs> like the this is the role that we're in constantly. And that one for me takes the cake. So they just passed in Berlin like a local law that says that we can file complaints from city offices for discrimination. And now the rest of Germany is up in arms about it. And they're super mad about it. 
And now they're saying they're no longer going to send, if Berlin needs cops for whatever event, they're not going to send police here. They're not going to help out. And then uh, Horst Seehofer, the minister of the interior, this genius, he was like, oh, don't worry about it. Like the Berlin law won't apply to any any other states who send people here. So like if, if Munich sends cops here, they won't fall under the discrimination law of Berlin <laughs> because wow, they don't yeah. want us to be able to sue the cops for yeah. discrimination. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we only have this in Berlin. This is a little fleck of the entire country and that law needs to happen everywhere. I would say from Black Lives Matter in Berlin and from several other organizations, a lot of us think that Korsehofer just needs to be fired. He needs to go. He cannot be the minister of the interior. Angela Merkel needs to cut that cord. But not for discrimination because they don't do that. You'd have yeah, to find some other reasons that. to fire yeah. him. I think the fact that like the level of like reports of Nazis in the police force and now there's, it's not like SWAT, but it's some like high level force. I don't know if it's in the police or in the army. They have to dismantle it because there are so many right-wing people in it. Wow. And like when you say right-wing people, can you define that a little more? Because I don't want to give the impression unless it's true that it's the equivalent of like there were Republican police officers. Like you're, no, you're using right-wing as something... They're Nazis. Nazis, they want, there we go. Okay. Yeah. They, yeah, they want to destroy and kill everyone who does not look or feel or smell like a prototypical white, blonde hair, blue-eyed German. Yeah. Maybe if you're a brunette, you can stay. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You know, if, you're, if your skin's a little too tan, that might be problematic for them. Yeah. So for me, it's like these are, you know... When we say right wing here, we're not talking about Republicans. We are talking about we are talking about white people who want to kill other people yeah. for the mere the mere problem of existing in their eyes. You know, the AFD says this stuff. The NPD says this stuff. There's a lot of right wing groups that say all this stuff. And basically their whole premise is that Germany needs to remain German, despite the fact that this idea of Germany that they are fixated on is the Germany that Hitler fixated on. That actually never existed. When I talk about, you know, what it's like here, this level of invisibility that Black and POC people have, Hitler did an amazing job, right? Like, in the fact that he convinced the world and he convinced Germans that to be German is to be this monolith, to be this one thing. And he erased the existence of the multiculturalism that was here, of the queerness that was here. The first transgender research library was in Germany and it was destroyed by the Nazis. Mm. That's in like the 20s or in the 10s. The Nazis destroyed it. There was definitely like a very like intersectional, multicultural like group of people who've like always been existing here. But then post-World War II, all of that gets erased. We're still today when people talk about Germans or when they look at Germans, or when they look at someone who is Black and German, they look at an Afro-German person, the first question out of their mouth is, where do you come from? Yeah. Yeah. There are so many echoes of what we're going through in the United States. And I want to thank you for being so clear and providing so much context for all of that. The ideal German, that idea, and like, who's really American? You know, yeah. the, the common framework is whiteness. Right. Yeah. And there is a white supremacy, which I, you know, I experience from European fans, you know, of people who've seen my TED talk as one example. And what you've described of the white members of many of the, the rally goers of Black Lives Matter, they're similar here. It's like, oh, poor Americans. Oh, so savage, so brutal, so uncivilized. Yeah. And the unwillingness to look 
inside and see that very same trait in one's own society, one's own household. It's a common, it's a common theme. So I guess thank you uh, for, yeah. for, for reminding me and anyone listening to this uh, that we have a lot more in common uh, than may appear to be the case, certainly than the marketing materials would have us yeah. believe. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, too, is that I think it's this Natasha A. Kelly, who's a she's a black scholar here, a black feminist here who does amazing work. And she said something to this, and I'm paraphrasing and also adding on to it. But racism was invented in Europe and Europeans like to forget that the Americans might have like perfected the efficiency of it. But this came from here. And that's something that Europeans just kind of always forget when they think about these things, that it's an American problem. The Americans did it, you know, or like you're bringing this because you're from the U.S. And it's like, no, I'm 16 years here and I'm watching, I'm looking at it in the flesh and seeing it happen every day. And I'm tired of having conversations of, you know, even the German media here when they talk about this. The first question out of their mouth is, have you had experience with racism? What they ask a black person or any other POC person. And it's like, we don't need to talk about the time that I experienced racism. We need to talk about the structures that forced me to experience racism. But they're not even prepared here in the media, in the government, in culture, in pretty much every part of civil society. They're not ready to have the conversation on the structural level. Yeah. Yeah. Diana, is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, I see things like this. The longer people in the U.S. fight and stay on the ground and keep pushing things forward, the bigger of a chance it is for black people all over the world to become liberated. So I love everyone in the U.S. who's on the ground and we've been trying to support you from here as much as we can and figuring out how people can send money from Germany to all the local organizations working on the ground. Cash App and Venmo do not work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So um, it's been this amazing energy that we've been able to also like feed off of and to bring together all the different parts of the black community here so that we can work together and to fight for the things and fight for the liberation that we also need here. So um, keep up the great work over there and um, keep up the fight. And then hopefully uh, when this is all over, it'll be a lot easier for all of us to visit each other Yes, in a much more beautiful, less racist world. Uh, Diana Arce, Alvita Zen. Alvita Zin. Alvita Zin. Alvita Zin. I was so close. I was so close to just crushing it at German. But alas, still more to learn. Thank you, Diana, for spending that time. Uh, That was Diana Arce of Black Lives Matter Berlin. You can find the organization on the internet at blacklivesmatterberlin.de. And you can find them on Instagram, Black Lives Matter Berlin. Meanwhile, Diana's website is visualosmosis.com, and she's on Instagram as visualosmosis. There's one more point I want to add as we close out episode five together. Thank you for being here with me. Diana spoke about the opportunity (laughs) that the U.S. provides Europeans to point out racism over there and kind of ignore it right here in the European context. And the funny thing to me is, Americans, we've done the same thing. It's this hot potato of racism and the accountability for it. We've been able to say for so long, well, we're not Hitler. We're not Nazis. And it turns out we're all messed up. We all got work to do. We're all steeped in the stew of white supremacy. 
trying to dig our way out. And that work will be made much easier if we all acknowledge the history that has created the present and take new actions to define a future that includes all of us. Thank you for listening. This has been episode five of We're Having a Moment. Hello, white people. Hello, world. Like a beast in the jungle, in the heat of the rumble. I ain't got nothing to lose. I've been fighting these hard times in the ghettos of my mind. That was victory that I choose. It's my soul is blessed to We're Having a Moment is a production of iHeartRadio Podcast. Executive produced by Miles Gray, Nick Stumpf, and Baratunde Thurston. Produced by Joelle Smith and Elizabeth Stewart. Edited by Justin Smith. Music by Aloe Black. You can find my email newsletter and a lot more at baratunde.com. If you do the social things, find me on Instagram at baratunde. And if you like text messaging, well, send me one. That's right, you can text me right now. 202-894-8844. Just put the text WHAM WHAM in the message. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.